Amen. Thank you for that. Children's Church can be dismissed at this time. The rest of you can take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. If you're interested in that hymn that was just sung, it's on page 102 in your hymn book. I'm old school. I really like the old hymns. I like the theology in the old hymns. But every once in a while, there's a new writer comes along, and the new writer does an excellent job preaching the gospel through a hymn. And uh, on page 102, you'll see the author is Ron Hamilton. And uh, Ron has suffered dearly with eye cancer and other, other issues in his health and in his life. But uh, what a composer and what a writer he is. He's most famous for writing children's songs, but that is one of his best, Born to Die. Most of us would not like to have that kind of testimony, just be born so we can die. But that was the testimony of our Savior. He was born to die for us and suffer for us. This morning in Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to be giving you a lesson on how to pray for America. The reason I'm doing this is because several years back, I think my wife said it was in 2003, we were invited to go to Israel with a mission group of about 12 and when I travel on vacation, I don't wear a suit and I don't wear a tie because that way they treat you like just a regular guy and they don't call on you to preach or anything. But here I was in Tel Aviv for their evening service. And the pastor said uh, the night before the service, he said, you're preaching tomorrow night. I said, no, I can't preach. I don't have a tie or a suit coat. He said, that's not a problem. He says, you can use mine. And uh, I'll never forget it because when I got to church, on they have church on Saturday night instead of Sunday morning. When I got to church on Saturday night, he took off his suit coat and he took off his tie and I put on his suit coat. It was about four sizes too big for me. But nonetheless, I put on his suit coat and I wore his tie and I, and I preached. I asked the pastor what he would like me to preach on. And he said, I want you to preach on three things. He said, I want you to share your testimony, how you came to know the Lord. And he said, I want you to uh, tell us how to be saved. I want you to preach the plan of salvation. And then he says, I want, you to, I want you to share with our people how we can pray for America. Now, you understand, we're in Israel, we're in Tel Aviv, and um, most of the people in church were Filipinos because they were workers from the area that had been servants for the rich Jewish people. And uh, these servants would come to this service. And the pastor said, I want you to pray on, I want you to preach on how to pray for America. And I said, uh, well, that's a tall order. I said, how much time do I have? He said, all the time you need. I said, that's dangerous to tell a preacher to take all the time he needs. Because in Bible college, we're taught, you know, the, the five B's of preaching. Five B's of preaching. Be brief, brother, be brief. And uh, I don't know how I could do that, but I forgot the clock. I forgot the time, and I just started preaching, and... I did share how we got saved. I've already done that. Most of you know our testimony. If you don't, we have it in written form. I'd be happy to share it with you. So I'm not going to tell you our personal testimony tonight, but I'll just say that we got saved at age 30. My wife was 28, and it's been a very interesting roller coaster ride these last 40 years. So uh, we're thankful for that. The second challenge was to preach the plan of salvation. And... Uh, in preaching the plan of salvation, that is really quite simple. I don't know why it took me so long that night. I was not brief. In fact, when I sat down, two hours had passed. 
And uh, I thought, oh my, that's amazing. But if people are listening, you know, just as well preach, I didn't figure I'd ever get called back anyway. So I just let her rip. But then I got to thinking, how can I, how can I preach on how foreigners can pray for America? And um, I thought about it at quite at length the night before in the motel room. And then I thought, well, even though I'm a veteran and I love America, sometime, uh, sometimes America just makes me mad. And they just, the American people make me sad. And uh, I, I grieve, I grieve for America because we have so much. We have so much to be thankful for. We have, God has given us so much. And yet, and yet people just, so many people just don't get it. And so I came up with a message. And so in Ephesians chapter 4, um, when I was preparing this message, I kept saying to myself, uh, be angry. Verse 26 of Ephesians 4. Be ye angry. And when, when I was asked, how do we pray for America? I was, those anger things were, were stirring in me because I was thinking of the major sins of our country. In Ephesians 4.26, it says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. So I would start by asking you this question. If you were asked by a foreigner, somebody who doesn't live in America, if you were asked by a foreigner, how should we pray for America? What would you say? Would you follow the five B's? Be brief, brethren. Be brief. Or would God give you something to share with this foreigner on how to pray for America? And so what I've done is I've come up with five ways uh, to pray for America, and each of these could be a sermon in themselves, a two-hour sermon easily in themselves. And I'm going to try to abbreviate it and put it in just a few minutes because we know that all of you are anxious to go home and watch the Vikings get beat again, okay? <laughs> maybe there's hope today. Maybe maybe with Detroit, they'll have a, a little fort, good fortune. <laughs> Who knows? But uh, I'm going to pray, and we're going to get started. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your goodness to us. <coughs> Lord, it is difficult to make a list of how to pray for America. And Lord, I pray that you would use this short list tonight to make all of us a little more conscious of our responsibility to pray. Lord, I pray this morning that hearts would be touched and lives would be changed. And Lord, if there's somebody here this morning that, that doesn't know you personally, they've never been born twice, they've never been born again, we pray, Lord, that they would not put it off any longer, but they would truly and deeply trust you and your word and get that taken care of. But especially this morning for the believers, we pray that we would all become like Daniels and we would pray fervently and earnestly like James and Peter and John and Jesus, that we would pray earnestly and fervently and regularly for our nation, for our nation needs you so much. Help this preacher say what's important and needs to be said and help me to leave out those things that are of no value. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, now some of you got a handout and some of you didn't, 
There's a few extra handouts. If you absolutely have to have one because you'd like to write, raise your hand and I got a guy in the back there. He's got, how many? There's zero, we're out. Okay, if you didn't get one, then you'll have to write on the on your bulletin, okay? There's a spot on your bulletin where it says morning message. Just put down five A's. A, I'm gonna give you, I'm a pastor, I'm gonna give you a report card. You get an A five times, A, 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 okay? And this morning when you leave church, you can tell everybody you went to A this morning, okay? <laughs> five ways to pray for America. Well, Daniel prayed. If you'll take a second and turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter six, and verse number 10, we will see that Daniel had a habit of praying. Daniel 6 and verse number 10. Now, Pastor Yoder, he always writes out his sermon. He said he's a manuscript preacher. I am not a manuscript preacher. I mean, I preach out of the manuscript, but I don't write out my whole sermon. I just write a few notes and then I go from there. Uh, maybe I should get in the habit of writing out everything and then we won't have to turn all these pages. But preachers love to hear the rustling of pages and you need practice anyway. So in Daniel chapter uh, six and verse number 10, we read this, Daniel six and verse number 10. And Daniel had been challenged not to pray to any other god but King Nebuchadnezzar or King Darius. And he'd been, he'd been, there'd been a writing that if you pray to any other god, you're going to be in trouble. And so uh, verse 9, it says, when King Darius had signed the writing and made the decree, and look at verse 10. It says, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. And I want you to notice the last four words, as he did aforetime. Those last four words tell us that he did this regularly. He had the habit of praying regularly. He didn't wait till the country got in trouble. He did it all the time. And you and I should be praying for America now when we, when we can't see its major problems because they're coming down the pike. We need to start praying early so that we can develop a habit of praying for our nation. And Daniel is a favorite hero to many, many believers. And one of the things I appreciate so much about Daniel is that he would pray often and confess the sins of his nation. Daniel was upstanding and right and godly. But Daniel had enough wisdom and enough humility to bend the knee as he always did and to give thanks as he always did and to go against the government even though he could be burned alive or eaten by lions, he just prayed because he had a close walk with God. And if Daniel prayed regularly and often and fervently for his nation, you and I should be doing the same. Paul prayed for all of Israel. Peter and James prayed diligently. But most importantly, Jesus prayed. He wept over Jerusalem and their unbelief. 
He wept over Jerusalem and their sin of rejecting him as the true Messiah. Jesus prayed for his nation. You and I ought to be praying for ours. So what are the five things to pray for? Well, let me give you. The first one is a huge problem. Some people don't see it as a huge problem, but I do, and it's the word alcohol. It starts with A, alcohol. I believe alcohol is the slippery slope that starts all people, including believers, it starts that slide downhill. And it begins to wreck their family, and it begins to wreck their finances, and it begins to wreck their future, and it wrecks their ministry. I'm sad to say this, but I can think of at least a half a dozen pastors who are seminary trained and not in the ministry because of alcohol. Now, a couple months back, I gave you a two-hour, a two-session lesson on alcohol, so I'm not going to do that again. But I do want to remind you that we are not to be a bunch of drunkards. America is not to operate while they're intoxicated with wine and liquor. They're supposed to keep the brain that God gave us clear. I think it was Thomas Edison that said, putting alcohol in the human mind is like putting sand in the bearings of an engine. If you want to drink, fine. I'll go dump some sugar in your gas tank. I'll go dump some sand in your carburetor. See how your car runs. And uh, you say, well, I, th I think it's okay to have a little bit. No, 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 no. What parents do in moderation, their children will do in excess. If you take one glass of wine or liquor, you're giving permission to your kids to have a keg of beer. What you do in moderation, they will do in excess. i got to be careful not to get long-winded on this. Ephesians 5.18 simply says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to take a look at Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 7. Isaiah 28 and verse number 7. This is an astonishing verse. This verse was given to me by a missionary. Well, my, my wife was hospitalized. There was a missionary there who had cancer of the throat. We got to talking about alcohol quite at length one night. I asked him, what the, what's the best verse in the Bible against alcohol? And he said, it's Isaiah 28.7. Most of you don't have that memorized because you don't usually go there. But look at what it says in Isaiah 28.7. But they, that's the leadership of the country. These are the priests and the leaders of the country. They, they have erred through wine. Erred means they've made mistakes. They continue to make mistakes. And through strong drink, they are out of the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. They were out of the way. They, they weren't interested in what God was interested in. They're out of the way. It says the priests and the prophets have erred through strong drink. They are swallowed up of wine. They are out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision. A drunk cannot see straight. Anybody that's had any experience with liquor knows that. One drink affects your vision. One drink affects your judgment. They err in vision and they stumble in judgment. I could give you a hundred illustrations, but this is not time to preach on alcohol. This is the time to preach on how to pray for America. America is going down a slippery slope fast, fundamentally,
because of alcohol. We have accepted it. We have embraced it as a society. It's okay to do it. A little bit won't hurt anybody. That is wrong, wrong, wrong. Alcohol will murder our civilization, if not checked by people like you and me who stand up and say, not smart, not wise. Alcohol would be the first thing I would ask people to pray for regarding America because it's a huge problem. What would the second one be? Well, the second one starts with A, and that's abortion. Abortion is a huge problem. In Exodus 20, verse 13, it says simply in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. Now, we have enough science, we have enough information, we have enough technology to know that a child's life begins at conception. We know that. The doctors know that. The Supreme Court judges should know that. And yet the smartest people in our land have voted to allow abortion. It is sick, sick, sick. And it is sad that our country permits that stuff. And if you've had an abortion, I'm sorry. I love you. God loves you. I want you to get saved. It, it, there's still hope for you. But the people that have suffered these things know more than I know. And they have hurt more than I hurt. And they know how evil and how bad and how wrong and how it goofs up the, the thinking of a woman when a life is taken from her body. Abortion is wrong and it's rude. In Romans 1.22, the Bible says the Roman believers... Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. That's America. We think we're so smart. We think we're so wise. We think we're so right. We can do whatever we want. We think we have the best constitution and the best Supreme Court judges in the world. And yet we have murdered millions. Do you ever stop and wonder where some of those babies would be today? You ever stop and wonder how many doctors we butchered? You ever think about a couple presidents we probably killed? You ever think about all the good mothers and fathers that aren't here? I wonder if our politicians ever thought about how many tax dollars they could have gained had they let those children live. I really think the immigration status, I know I'm starting to preach personality here and getting a little away from the word, but I think one of the things about this immigration problem we're having is we have butchered millions and the Lord says, I'm not going to let you off that easy. I'm going to bring millions to your country. All those babies you got rid of, I'm going to bring millions to your country and I want you to preach to them. And I want you to share Jesus with them. And I want them to get saved. And do all you can to pray for America that we could reverse Roe versus Wade and never kill another child. You know, personally, it's amazing to me because my wife and I were not allowed to have children for the first five years. Well, we were allowed to, but we, we never had children. It was that simple. We began the adoption process. We were to the point where we were to drive out to the state of Washington to adopt two little Korean boys. And about the time we were to drive out to Washington, my wife got pregnant. The doctor said she wouldn't get pregnant, but they didn't know nothing. She got pregnant, and then she got pregnant again, and then she got pregnant again, and it's all her fault, okay? <laughs> but you know what's, what's really sad is, let's say a teenage girl today had a, had a baby girl, 
and, and she took that little girl because she couldn't raise it and she went and put it on the, on the porch of a church. And, and the news got out and it was in the paper. A little baby was abandoned at the Bible Baptist Church in Brookings. It's amazing all the phone calls City Hall would get from hundreds of parents. Hundreds and even thousands of parents would say, I'll take that baby. I'll take that baby. I'll take that baby. And yet, we abort them by the millions. Big problem. Huge problem. Pray for America. Alcohol's drowning us and abortion is killing us because of the law of the harvest. The third one. Now, this is a 16-cylinder word. Agnosticism. A-G-N-O-S-T-I-C-I-S-M. Agnosticism. America's number three problem. Now, what is agnosticism, really? Well, it's not atheism. Atheism doesn't even believe in God. They don't even know how to curse because they're atheists. An agnostic is where most Americans are. They believe in God, but they don't need God. They believe in God, but they discount him. They are humanists. That's what an agnostic is. In, Proverbs, in Psalms 14 and verse 1, the Bible says that the, the, the agnostic says there is no God. The agnostic says, I don't need God to make money. I don't need God to sober up. I don't need God to tell me how to do things. Well, I'm here to tell you, you need God whether you realize it or not. And he loves you whether you love him or not. You could not draw another breath if it weren't for his grace and mercy. We couldn't. He could stop our heart that fast. You need him. And if you're an agnostic and who believes in God, but you don't want him to have any part in your life, then you're part of that group, the agnostic group. In Psalm 121, verse 2, the psalmist says, My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. The very first verse in your Bible, go to Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1. In the beginning, God. See, we need to believe those first four words. In the beginning, God. He created the heaven and the earth. Scientists say, well, there's other, there's other planets out there where there's other people. I don't think so. Earth is singular. Now, you can believe that hogwash if you want to, but there's one earth. If there was multiple earths, there'd have to be multiple saviors. One earth, one savior, and his name is Jesus. And God created the heavens and the earth. And for you and I to act like an agnostic and say we don't need God is foolishness. And as a believer, not to preach that message to a lost and dying world is foolishness. We should not be ashamed of the gospel. And the gospel begins with God. In the beginning, God allowed you to be born. And since you were born, he wants you to be saved. That's his message. And so we listen to God's word and see what it says about salvation. I think alcohol's big, or America's biggest problems are alcohol, abortion, agnosticism. What's, how about the fourth one here? You still with me, class? Say amen. All right. Still want the Vikings to win? Say amen. <laughs> A couple of pretty weak amens, okay? <laughs> Number four is apostasy. 
A P O S T A C Y, apostasy. Turning your Bibles, if you would, to Second Thessalonians, chapter two, verse three. Second Thessalonians, chapter two, and verse number three. Paul, in writing to the church at Thessalonica, says to the believers. Well, let me start in verse number one of chapter two. Second Thessalonians chapter two. Let me start in, in verse number one here. Now we, we beseech you, brethren, that that's not only to the people 2,000 years ago, that's to you and I that profess Christ. By the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that day, as that the day of the Christ is at hand. Verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. That's apostasy. Apostasy is when churches that once stood for truth and fundamental truth that's critically important, they fall away from that. And now all of a sudden it's not important that you repent. And now all of a sudden it's not important that you take a stand against alcohol and abortion. And, and now it's not important that you get saved. See what apostasy is? It's, a, it's a, when a believer falls away from living right. And it happens with individuals. And it happens with churches. And then the trickle-down effect, it happens to nations. Or a nation falls into apostasy. Now, I would have liked to have been in a church service 100 years ago before smartphones and before technology before abortions, before all this other wicked stuff showed up. I'd, I'd love to have been in a church a hundred years ago just to see how they worshiped God from the goodness of their heart. And, and you know, there was a day when a preacher could stand up and shouldn't drink, and he was amen and applauded for that. I had a preacher call me from uh, northern Minnesota the other day, and he said, would you like a job in International Falls, pastoring their church? I said, no, sir, I don't want that job because that's further north. I want to go south, not north. I said, why do you ask? He said, the Bible colleges and seminaries no longer take a strong stand against liquor. And the church committee wants a man who is against liquor, and they can't find one. Apostasy is a sliding away, a falling away from the truth. And this is what we need to pray for regarding our country. The Lord... Help us not to fall. Help us not to be drunks. Help us not to be abortion, abortionists and kill babies. Help us not to endorse that stuff. Lord, help us as a nation not to be agnostic and think that just because people go to church, they're saved. And then, Lord, help us that are in a fundamental Bible-believing church. Help us not to fall away and slip and backslide into apostasy. The truth is the truth. Capital T. It was the truth from the beginning, Genesis 1-1, and it's the truth to the end of Revelation. It's the truth. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth. And any departure from that is apostasy. 
I hope that doesn't become a, a problem that gets any bigger for our church. The fifth one here, alcohol, abortion, agnosticity, apostasy, and we'll close with apathy. Now, you should know how to spell that. Apathy, huge problem. Well, what in the world is apathy all about? Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and let's read a couple verses here. I heard a sermon one time on 2 Timothy chapter 3, and the title of the sermon was 18 Characteristics of a Creep. How would you like to hear that sermon? 18 Characteristics of a Creep. Well, here they are. Let's give them to you. This know also, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 1, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Start counting if you want. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. These apathetic People will have a form of godliness, verse number five, but they will deny the power thereof. And it says from such people, you and I should turn away. People who don't care are people we should not be hanging around. We would punish our children when they said, I don't care. You say, oh, you're a mean father. I wasn't near as mean as Lynn was. She was really hard on them. She didn't like to hear that. She didn't like to hear her kids say, I don't care. How do you think it makes a preacher feel when you say, I don't care? How do you think it makes God feel when you say, I don't care? Well, apathy is one of our huge problems because we've got a whole lack of believers, fundamental believers, good people that simply don't care. The offering plate comes by, they don't care. God don't need my money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, all the gold and all the silver in the hills. They don't care, so they sit on their wallet. Well, you can give to the Lord or the devil will take it away. It's your choice. I found that the devil takes a lot more away than, than, than if I were to just give like I'm supposed to give. And set a good example for my family and for my church. But the apathetic person, yeah, he doesn't want to sing. He doesn't want to have a word of testimony. He doesn't want to leave a track. He doesn't want to witness. He just wants to be left alone. Why? Because he's apathetic. Get that? Apathetic. Have you ever been called pathetic? Apathetic is when you don't care. And it is a huge problem. Verse number six. Here's the title to the message. For of this sort are they which creep creep into houses and they lead captive silly women laden with sins led away with diverse lusts and on and on we could go with the text they creep into houses now when the new testament first church started they didn't have buildings they didn't have paved parking lots you know where they met they met in houses that's how the first churches started. 
And then the houses weren't big enough, so then they built a, a synagogue or they built a, a bigger facility and a bigger building. And, and apathetic people creep into the church. They creep into the church house and they start spreading around this, this disease. I don't care. I don't care if my wife gets saved. I don't care if grandpa gets saved. I don't care if the church falls on its face. Apathy. And this, I think, is a huge problem. Now, maybe you'd have a different list. Maybe you'd use a different letter. I don't know. <laughs> maybe you think this is a weird and bizarre message. But I really believe in the very depths of my heart that America is guilty of producing a huge bunch of drunkards. And most of them are in colleges or they're in politics and they're leading the city. And it shouldn't be. And I believe America is guilty of millions of babies. The blood of America's blood of those babies is on our hands. We need to speak out and be against it. America is guilty of agnosticism, acknowledging that there is a God, but we don't want to include him. America is guilty of apostasy. Fundamental Baptist churches are losing their fundamental stand. They're embracing and accepting everything under the sun and the churches are dying. 400 Baptist churches a year. This was 30 years ago I heard this. 400 Baptist churches a year close their door because nobody cares. There isn't enough people. There isn't enough witnessing and soul winning going on. There are too many churches that are guilty of apostasy and there's too many people that just don't care. And I, I close with this. If you're if you want a way to apply this and what can you do, let me give you three quick suggestions. And I believe Daniel would encourage you this way, and I believe Paul would, and I believe Jesus does in his word. Number one, pray more for people to get saved. All of us know somebody who needs to be born again. Keep praying for them. That's the first thing you can do. Second thing you can do is pray for our leaders, pray for our politicians. Pray really hard for our pastors. I'll be the first one to say, we need it. We can't do it without your prayers. We need your prayers. And then thirdly, pray that you will be more serious about the sins of the United States of America. Daniel would pray for the sins of his country. And Jesus would pray for the foolishness of his people, the Jewish people then you and I should be praying for all the foolishness that takes place under the United States flag. It's our duty and it's our privilege.